Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today my guest is Justin Doherty, the Rehabilitation Physiotherapist at the Sydney Swans. Justin is an APA titled sports and exercise physiotherapist, has worked in the A-League for over 10 years, and is passionate about all things sports medicine and high performance. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance of working in the field early in your career, the key to developing your craft through connecting with practitioners, why Sydney Swans are big on knowing your role, the shift in understanding the value of exercise therapy over manual therapy, and how to manage athletes' reaction to significant injuries and the importance of redirecting their focus to getting better. People mentioned in this podcast, Robert Dingle, Craig Burdham, Jill Cook, Damien Raper, Rob Ennis, Shane Leon, and John Longmire. Before we start this episode, for those practitioners who want to learn how to create your own online coaching business and work in elite sport, then our Coaches Academy is for you. Join the waitlist by heading to our website and signing up to our email list for a free one-month trial. The link will be in our show notes. Let's get into today's episode with Justin Doherty. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for jumping on, mate. No, no worries. Good to be here. Let's uh, dive in the beginning of your career. What age did you discover you had a passion for physiotherapy and, and working in sport? Uh, I think like most um, sports physios, you know, Grew up being an active kid, playing a lot of sport myself. Um, and I think it was, it was year 10, actually, uh, work experience. I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I knew that I loved sport and actually spent my year 10 placement down at the local physio clinic. And um, I guess that was my first introduction to physio. And um, it sort of kick-started from there and, you know, putting the two interests together and um, – sort of always made it my goal to, to pursue the sporting side of the physio career. And were there any challenges early on in terms of, like you mentioned, getting sort of experience and um, almost opening up doors while you were doing your degree? Yeah, look, um, I'd have to say that I've been, I've been very fortunate. Um, I sort of sought out the sports physio pathway sort of straight off um, graduation. Um, my sort of pathway, I, I sought out the local physio clinic uh, in Newcastle where I was um, studying and graduated from. Um, that had the connection with the Newcastle Jets. Um, they had a contract for the youth team at the time. So my sort of thinking was to, to you know, partner with that clinic and start my career there um, with the hope of one day sort of, you know, working my way into that. Um, and, and yeah, look, as I said, I was really lucky. I, I spent a couple of years doing some work in the MPL level um, as a physio and, uh, and opening come up with the Newcastle Jets and the youth team. And um, yeah, that, that sort of really kick-started um, my sports physio career. Fantastic, mate. That's, um, yeah, that's great to get that experience. Mate. Was that something when you started working in the field that you realised that this is definitely something you're passionate in? And uh, at that point, did you have a particular sport that you were wanting to work in now that you're working in AFL? Was that always sort of the focus or um, are you sort of taking one job at a time, one experience at a time, so to speak? Um, look, you know, my, I played soccer growing up, so um, that was probably my, my interest. Um, and I think it's funny, um, as a sports physio, you always have this, this dream, you know, and, and, and mine was to work in, in professional sport in soccer. Um, yep. that's sort of where I wanted to go just given that was my background and that's, that's what I played um, and as I said I, I was lucky enough to sort of work my way into that uh, and work in the A-League um, you know quite early on in my career and I think spending a few years working in the A-League it sort of I guess opened my eyes a little bit to um, you know the, the challenges I guess of working in some professional codes in Australia um, you know the A-League is a relatively under-resourced league compared to, say, the AFL, and um, it obviously comes with its challenges as well. So, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, to answer your question, it was, it was definitely soccer was my initial thinking, and, and um, being a world game it sort of made me think, you know, maybe there's overseas opportunities and things can open up there. Um, 
but um, having having landed where I am now, um, you know, it, it's I, I really love where I am and and, and the structure that the AFL uh, has in place um, from a sports medicine and and high performance department. So um, I'm really happy where I am, and and it's definitely um, yeah, I guess um, something that uh, I've always sort of wanted to get to. Yeah, and they. Early on, like who were some strong sort of influences on your career as you were sort of forging your way um, during you know studying, but also um, working at Newcastle. Yeah, so um, as I said, I, I was lucky in that I think I was only out of out of uni for a couple of years when I first started working with the, the Newcastle Jets and their youth team. And the person who I guess gave me the opportunity um, was named Robert Dingle. Um, he was the head physio at the time, the senior team. Um, and Robert's someone who he really did influence me in a big way early on. Um, you know, as I said, he gave me an opportunity, but also sort of mentored me through those um, first couple of years. You know, it's a sink or swim mentality, but um, he he really sort of nurtured me through those early years and, and taught me a lot. Um, going forward, I think, um, you know, through my postgrad studies, um, I've been fortunate enough to come across a lot of great people and, and meet a lot of people that are working in the in the professional sporting world, um, you know, and, and influences for me, I think people like, you know, uh, Craig Burdham and, and Jill Cook, who are two of the, you know, Australian sports medicine royalty, um, have, have definitely had a big, big impact on, especially now my rehab philosophies and, and how I go about um, managing injuries from a soft tissue and a tendon perspective. Um, and, and even now, you know, I, I work in a great department at the Swans and, there's a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds that, um, you know, we challenge each other every day. And, and um, you know, the last two years at the Swans, they've, um, they've really had a big influence on me. You mentioned uh, in, in the A-League, it's, you know, relative compared to the AFL, it's not as resourced. Do you think early on in, for, for the physios listening, it's good to be in those environments where uh, you may not have as much support as some of the uh, other codes, so you do have to maybe go out of your area and assist potentially a coach uh, in a drill or an S and C with in the gym and and get experiences outside of your lane, so to speak, early on to develop understanding in different areas. Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Like it's it's the best thing I did um, in that uh, I was sort of forced to upskill. Um, you know, if I was just in a siloed role, you know, where I was, you know, just a physio doing something in a really highly resourced team, uh, it would have been really difficult for me now. Um, you know, back in the early days of, of the A-League, you know, you'd be sort of upskilling in sports science, strength and conditioning, as you said, the football coaching side of things. You're taking, taking rehab drills and sessions and, and you've really got to um, expand your knowledge um, more broadly, so to speak. And uh, as I said, I wouldn't do it any other way. It was... It was a challenge, but uh, as I said, it, it's really what sort of laid the foundation for me to, to learn and develop um, my techniques and also allowed me, I guess, to, to realise what, what I liked doing the most and, and what my strengths were, which, which I would say is, is the rehab side of things, which is sort of where I've ended up now. Um, so, yes, it's under-resourced, and um, I guess my advice to those listening um, who are starting out their careers is to, to get your hands dirty early on and, you know, get out and volunteer or, you know, go down to your local footy club and, and try and get your hands dirty because, yes, it'll be difficult and, um, you know, the, the money might not be there, but it's really where, where you're going to learn, um, you know, the majority of your craft and it's going to set you up for your career. And then with Robert Dingle, like that sort of relationship of him being in the senior team, you working with the youth team, um, was there a lot of overlap or did you have to sort of call him and contact him outside of hours to... Um, you know, for him to act like a bit of a soundboard and for you to ask questions, how did it, how was the sort of setup? Was it a formal sort of mentorship or was it more something that um, grew as you guys worked together? No, look, he was, you know, Rob, Rob got up a lot of his time for me. Um, as you said, you know, after our phone calls, um, standing board, when, whenever I needed him, he was always there. But, but the other thing was that it, uh, he invited me into first team training quite a bit just to observe and to help him out. Um, so that's sort of where I really learned. I just sort of got to operate with him, uh, see how he liked to do things and, and, and learn from him that way. Um, so, yeah, it was really, um, as I said, that was, that was invaluable to me at the time. I really didn't know what I was doing <laughs> as, a, as a young physio. And um, to, to work with someone like that who was 
who was willing to give me the time and, um, and, uh, you know, who really cared, um, to sort of develop me was something that, as I said, it really did set me up and and it's something that, you know, I'm very grateful for. And and for those listening, uh, I can imagine starting at that level would be quite daunting, obviously have its massive rewards as well, like a, a steep learning curve. Uh, and the best way to, to learn, like you said, is getting experience early in your career. But um, there would have been some challenging moments where you're, you know, you're looking after athletes in rehab or you're diagnosing an injury. Um, there's pressure in elite sport, of course. So uh, how would you recommend for developing physios working in, in that environment to make most of, of mentors like Rob in your instance? Like how did, it, how did you make the most of those sort of resources? Yeah, look, I think... Um... Best advice I, I could probably give is just to know your limitations. Um, you know, I, I definitely didn't know everything and I knew that and I was willing to admit that from, from an early age. Um, you know, that old saying, almost park your ego at the door. And um, it, it, yeah, for me, it was more, if I didn't know the answer, I, I wasn't afraid to call someone and be like, hey, look, I've just seen this injury, not quite sure what's going on. Do you mind having a second opinion for me? Or And I still do that to this day. And I think that's that's something that, as a physio, um, yeah, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be ashamed to to be asking for help. As I said, I'm still doing that to this day. Still reach out to experts like like Craig Purdom and Jill Cook for tricky cases. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd just say that if you can you can surround yourself with with a good network of people that um, a are willing to give you the time, but b have, have sort of have been there and done it and sort of got their hands dirty themselves um, and experienced it. Um, that's really really valuable and. Uh, don't think that you have to do it all on your own. Um, there's always going to be people that can help you. Yeah, that's great advice, mate. Thank, thanks for sharing. And um, in terms of building those, building your network base, you mentioned Jill Cook um, and Craig Purdom. Like, how did you go about de- developing those relationships as your career progressed? Yeah, look, I think early on, everyone everyone knows who they are just through through their status in, I guess, sports med um, and, and the research that they publish. Um, I was first introduced to both of them um, through my master's program. Um, that's sort of when I first um, you know, met them and knew who they were. And, and it's actually not really until I um, started at the Swans, um, you know, Damien Rapers, the head physio there, and, um, and Damo came from the AS himself and, and had a good working relationship with both, both Jill and Craig. Uh, and I think that's where, uh, I guess, the relationship strengthened. We, you know, we're not, we're not afraid to sort of give them a call and, and ask their advice on things. And um, yeah, as I said, that's sort of probably where, where that relationship blossomed, if you, for want of a better word. And the, you know, in terms of going from a code that you were familiar with that you played yourself to then to a different code in footy, did you play football growing up or soccer you played, but did you play Australian rules football or was that a sport that you had to learn on the job? Yeah, look, uh, born and bred in New South Wales, so... Uh, AFL or, or footy isn't isn't high on the list um, of sports, so um, it, that was that was a challenge for sure, um, and it, it's probably something that I thought was going to be a limiting factor in me in me working in the code, having not played it and, and didn't have a great grasp of the game myself. Um, I think I sort of approached from a different aspect in that um, you know the body is the body and injuries are injuries, and um, there's a lot of similarities there, uh, and I sort of brought I guess my experiences with, with, you know, hip and groin and hamstring injuries from, from soccer backgrounds to the AFL code. And, and the first thing I did um, when I was lucky enough to get the role was, was upskill myself in the game, you know, speak to coaches, um, speak to players, really, you know, deep dive into the game itself. Um, what are the physical demands of the game? You know, what, what's the different positions? What do they have to do? Um, you know, my role in, in, in the rehab space, that's really important to know, I guess, you know, what the, player does and what they need to do and what you need to get them back to. So, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I, I'll lean on the coaches and, and the players and, and the staff around us that, that have that experience in AFL to sort of, I guess, bridge that gap. Yeah. Yeah. They, that's, um, it's an interesting point. It's something that I've, um, I've noticed in all football codes and or team-based athletes or, or maybe even practitioners that have come from track and field and, and different areas and, and you, you, every, you know, some people would have that same 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 sort of belief that oh and I know I would have that as well if I was going for a sport that I didn't play. Um, geez, how how am I going to go about applying my my craft to to that area? But you broke that down nicely. An injury is an injury. A bo- the body is the bo- is the human body, 
Uh, so the physiology doesn't change. You just got to learn the sport and coaches sometimes can find that quite refreshing and same with athletes that you're working with practitioners that have got different backgrounds. So it almost um, can be a strength in, in some sense when you're actually in the, in the environment because you've got some different things that you can you know, uh, add and contribute to, to the environment. Have you found that? Like with having a soccer background, maybe it might be connecting with a coach from, who is interested in soccer, for example, and you get that connection or a player um, that also has a, a passion or, or feels that they learn a little bit from soccer and, and apply that to their football. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, our, our, even our physio department, we've got, um, you know, the four of us, we've got Alana Ancliffe coming from a netball background, myself coming from soccer background, um, Justin Molino, track and field, and then obviously Damo, who's had, had his experiences at AIS and, and working in AFL. So, you know, that, that was a deliberate um, strategy from, from Damien to sort of get people with different backgrounds and different experiences that can, um, yeah, I guess, bring a different perspective to things. Um, it's always good to have, have that in a team. Um, and, and, yeah, you know, like there's obviously quite a few of the boys that follow, follow you know, the English Premier League and, um, and the A-League as well. And, and so being able to discuss that with them and give them a bit of an insight on the differences between the two sports, you know. I remember speaking to, to one of the players once about an Asian Champions League campaign and what that entails and, you know, flying a career on a on a Saturday, playing on a Tuesday, flying back, um, playing on a Friday in Melbourne, you know, three-day turnarounds and all this sort of thing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's really interesting just to see, I guess, um, yeah, the differences in the athletes and, and what they're capable of doing. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's definitely been helpful coming from, from that background for sure. And, and on that note, um, with, yes, like soccer is, you know, known for um, quick turnarounds and, and mm-hmm. AFL sort of, uh, had to experience that with COVID the last couple of years. So leaning on that experience and knowing that athletes can handle, obviously it's the different sports from a contact point of view, but the demand on the legs, uh, the main physical stressor you could say with in terms of speed and uh, acceleration, change direction, those sort of loads with, from groins and hammy point of view, do you feel like you could lean on that a little bit and have a bit of a, a, a better understanding of, of what's been going on with the calendar year the last couple of years? Yeah, look, definitely. I, I think... The biggest thing that I realised is um, through soccer, you, you realise what, what the boy's capable of doing. Um, as I said, the A-League squads aren't, aren't deep. You know, you, you've probably got 15 to 16, you know, high-quality players who, who play every week or, you know, who could play every week. Um, and so often it's the same players playing back-to-back. And, you know, as, as I said, if you're in Champions League, you're playing midweek and weekend for, you know, a six- to eight-week period. Um, and it's the same players playing all the time. And so you, you really do see, you know, you've got these you know, 34, 35-year-old players that are just backing up every three days and, you know, running, running 12 to 13Ks and, you know, um, the long-haul flights from, from Asia back to Australia and, and they manage and they get through. And so I think that's something that, that maybe, you know, I guess open my eyes to, to what's capable um, and, and bring that to the AFL. You know, as I said, obviously the big difference is the contact piece in AFL at, it really does, um, you know, zap the body and take longer to recover from. But, but also, it, it does make you and COVID, you know, the COVID period and then change the schedule just just showed that you, know, you can do it. And if you have to do it, um, you know, the body will find a way to do it. I think it's just, you know, it probably comes back to what you're used to doing and how you train. Um, you know, if you're used to training three days a week for ten years, then you know, three days a week is what you're going to be comfortable doing. And if you throw a fourth or fifth session in there, it might be difficult, but um, if you build it up slowly and, and um, you know, expose the players to a little bit more training load, that um, ultimately that might be a protect, protective thing. And that's, that's probably something that I could, again, lean on my experiences in soccer is to, you know, just because you've got, um, you know, an arthritic joint or something like that doesn't mean you can't train. Um, that's probably something that, um, you know, we are quite, quite big on at the Swans is that, you know, what can you do, not, not what can't you do. Yeah, 100%. And, and what about from a... Um, application point of view, and and being the successful candidate. So you, you know you got that with the new Newcastle gig, and then Sydney Swans um, for for physiotherapists that are are going out there and and wanting to put their best foot forward. How do you prepare yourself for either an interview or maybe the first call um, with a uh, someone who you're you know, applying 
to, whether it be the head physio or a coach that you're speaking to? What, what are some of your ways that you try and work on your philosophy and, and I guess, going with a clear mind? Yeah, look, I think the first time that happened for me, as I said, that the Newcastle job was a little bit organic. Um, sort of went from the youth team into the first team after, after Rob left. And so that, that was a bit of a smooth transition. But, but when, the, when the Melbourne Victory um, position um, became available and, and I was contacted about that, it was something that, um, you know, it was obviously nerve-wracking to start with. Um, but I, I think the first thing you can do is, is get your philosophy in place and, and get your ideas together. Um, you, know, you, want, you want to go there and present something to them and sort of show them this is how I operate and this is what I can bring to Carb or the department. Um, and, you know, you're not selling yourself, but you're just sort of showing, um, you know, this, this, is, this is what I believe in and this is how I can help and how I can fit in. And I think the other big piece is, is showing that, you know, you want to be part of a team, you want to work with people is another really, really big thing. Um, you know, you, you're working with other people, you want, you want to be able to lean on them and um, engage with them rather than just, as I said, do things on your own and, and, and have a bit of a, a silo view on things. So um, they're probably the two, two main things I'd say are important if you are going for, for an interview. And then the third thing is just understanding what role you're applying for. Um, you know, just as, as an example, like for me, applying for a rehab physio role, um, I sort of, I wasn't really going to go into the, into the interview and, and talk about my experiences so much of the head physio and, and, you know, push that line too much because um, I'm applying for the role because rehab is something I'm interested in. So that's something that I sort of pushed and sort of lengthened my experiences in the rehab space of, of my previous jobs rather than just, you know, I've, I've been a head physio here for this amount of years and, and I've seen this, this and this. Um, it was more in terms of these are the tricky injuries I've had and this is how I've managed them and, and um, you know, these are my strengths and limitations um, from a rehab sense. So that's another thing, yeah. just understanding, understanding the job you're applying for and I guess um, tailoring, tailoring your responses to that. Yeah, I love that, mate. That's great, great advice for anyone applying strength and conditioning coach or physio. <clears throat> um, yeah, showcasing how you're a team player and you can work in the environment, like you said, fit into the environment um, and understanding the role. I think we can all get caught up in all the experiences that you may have done before that point, but if it doesn't apply to, the, to what they're looking for, like you said, you've got to contribute to the club. That's ultimately what they're looking for, the best candidate to help grow the club and, and um, be able to serve the athletes. Then um, by focusing your energy on that, then you, you're almost helping them make the decision, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, um, I've heard this phrase that the Swans have been there and it's, it's play your role. And I think that's something that is vitally important in, in high performance and sports medicine that we, we A, know our role and B, you know, play that role. It doesn't mean that we can't, you know, work with the S&Cs and maybe give them a bit of um, you know, feedback or advice on the program, but it's just knowing what, what your role is and what you're going to bring to the team. And I guess, you know, um, as I said, playing that role. And what about self-development? What are some of your favourite ways to um, yeah, sharpen your craft as a practitioner? Um, I think for me, the, the first thing was, was study. Um, as I said, you know, your undergraduate degree doesn't get you so far. Um, so the first thing I wanted to do is, as early as I could was um, A, get a lot of experience and as much as experience as I could um, fresh out of uni, but also um, I was pretty keen to get into the master's program um, so I did a sports physio master's through La Trobe um, University and, and that's something that, um, I guess, progressed me clinically. But the main, the main way I'd say I, I developed my tools is just purely through communicating with other people that are working in the field. You know, as I said, I'm not afraid to reach out to other people and ask them for advice, ask them how they do things. Um, you know, I'm learning every day from the people I'm working around. Um, you know, you've got, you got someone like Rob Innes who, who's our health performance manager and He's got his background at Richmond and I'll, you know, constantly ask him, mate, you know, how do you do things at Richmond? Um, how, would you, how would you approach this? He's been in the rehab role as well. Um, you know, Shane Lane, our strength coach and background in, in rugby union. Um, again, just asking him, mate, you know, when, when you're in rugby union, how would you approach this? So that's, that's probably where I actually pick up the most is purely through conversations and, and um, discussing things with, with our network. Um, you know, I think... I think a lot of people find that um, there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help and, and offer advice. 
Um, so, so it's definitely something that I'd say is, is the main way I sort of, you know, sharpen, sharpen my focus or, or develop my skills. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this episode with Justin Doherty. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet of our interview with Mark McGrath. Yeah. Do you believe there's posture for specific tasks? So in terms of, is there an optimal posture for a swimmer compared to a gymnast compared to a footballer or is good posture just good posture for the well, human body? We'll come back to basic uprighting. So why does the gymnast and the ballet dancer change their posture? Because they're told that like an extended spine is the aesthetic of the sport. Mm. So it's more like that's forced upon them than the other way. Yeah. So I guess if if your whole focus is for performance, is, is yeah, is there a ballet posture that is better for performance opposed to, or is it just a matter of the human body has an anatomy that has a stronger say that if you're in that, if you're in good alignment, how the diaphragm yeah. is supposed to be aligned with the transverse abdominis, and that's superior to yeah. opposed to the sport dictating your postural d- dominance. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So if we look at a, a elite male ballet dancer, really hypertrophy of the sternocleidomastoid. Yeah. So they're lifting, they can do it, but it's they've changed the nature of optimal shoulder stabilization. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to, you know, again, you you know, you can get around these things with treatment and, and so on. To hear more from Mark, make sure to scroll to episode two on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to Justin Doherty. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoy. What about from a highlights point of view, mate, like over your career to this point, um, what do you look back most fondly? Um, I think a couple, a couple stand out. Um, the 2018 A-League season for me was, was a highlight. Um, I was at Newcastle Jets at the time and we'd been through a bit of a rough patch. Um, I think we'd been through, through two owners um, and, and a handful of coaches and, you know, we'd, we'd gone from being sort of wooden spoon and, and down the bottom of the table to then Ernie Merrick came in and and really turned the club around. Um, and we sort of went on this run where, we, you know, we were winning more often than we weren't. We ended up finishing, finishing second on the table and, and made it all the way to the grand final. And it's still something that was, um, you know, I look back on that as, as one of the best years in my career, not 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 just because of the success that we had, um, but, but just because of the way that the success was, Manufactured, I guess. Um, it wasn't wasn't through luck; it was through design. And and Ernie really brought this philosophy to the club um, that w- was new. And and um, yeah, as I said, it really changed the way that we did things. Um, I think the other ones that stand out are um, the Asian Champions League campaign when I was with Melbourne Victory. It's an experience when you you know sort of playing games in in front of sold out stadiums in Guangzhou in China and um, in Korea in Seoul. And as I said, uh, visiting these places and then being fortunate enough to work over there is, is something that you know I'll never forget. Um, I think in more recent years in the AFL, there's, there's, there's probably one that really stands out to me, and that was um, last year when we were in the hub. We had a game against GWS, and I think it was about half an hour before kickoff. We had a four players ruled out through being deemed close contacts as they were literally halfway through the warm up, and. Um, yeah, just that whole chaos was something that I'll uh, I'll never forget, um, and just the way that that John Longmire and, and the coaching staff just turned it into a positive straight away and said, "How good is this? We've got four other players that can come in and do a job." Um, and we ended up going on after a slow start. We ended up going on to win the game, and it's, it's something that just yeah, it's still yeah, it's probably the highlight of last season for me. It's just this this game that will never probably never happen again <laughs> the circumstances and, and I guess how how everybody sort of reacted to that adversity and sort of almost shrugged it off and took it as a positive and and um yeah got the result yeah that's awesome testament to good leadership there um and, and culture for those players stepping up the you mentioned uh turnover of, of owners of Newcastle at the time and and instability of staff including coaches for those that haven't worked in a league how does it work with uh, you hear stories of the english premier league of new coach new manager sorry uh, means new staff uh a contractor are you contracted to the club are you contracted to the coach like was there did you have insecurities with during those phases of, of your job security or if you were doing a good job you sort of that was taken care of so to speak um 
No, you definitely don't feel safe. <laughs> um, I think it's, uh, soccer or football is, is a lot more cutthroat um, than, than, say, AFL or, or rugby league. And, and clubs are, are obviously a little bit quicker to, to pull the trigger on, on firing a manager if they're not getting the success they want. Um, as medical staff, and we are a little bit more independent of the coach and we, you know, we do work for the club, so we are contracted to the club. Um, but in saying that, it, you know, I have seen it happen before where new coach comes in and just brings his own staff in and, and there's nothing you can do about it, whether you're doing a good job or not. Um, yeah. So I think for me that they were very challenging times um, where, you know, you're not quite sure if you're going to have a job for how long. Um, and, you know, you, you do sort of second guess yourself a little bit, but also, you know, start having backups in place just in case that, you know, that tap on the shoulder does come. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's not something that's, that's fun. <laughs> it's not something that um, I hope many people need to go through, but it is something that, again, I think it sort of highlights um, if, if, you, if you are doing a good job um, and you're giving it your best, um, then, you know, you would hope that in, in more, more circumstances than not that you will keep your job and, and the club sort of can see, see the, the value you add and the benefit you can bring. And on that, it's a good segue for, for challenges, mate, of your career so far. Uh, what are some some major challenges that you faced, and and what you what have you learned from it, if any? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess aside from that, aside from um, from the you know the, the changes of coaches and sitting there not knowing if you've got a job or not, um, that's probably one big challenge. But I, I think the other thing for me was I moved from Newcastle down to Melbourne. Um, my partner and now wife at the time um, to basically take up a job with Melbourne Victory. And so for me, I was comfortable in Newcastle. Uh, you know, I was, I was settled, um, loved where I lived, family just up the road. Um, and, and we sort of decided to pack up and move down to, down to Melbourne, which was a bit of a um, step I always wanted to take, but it's always, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone is something that always challenges you. So going to a new city where we didn't really know anyone um, was difficult. Um, and moving to a club of the status of Melbourne Victory with the success they'd had and that came with its own pressures and expectations. Um, but I guess the, the learnings from that was just to, to embrace it and just you know how lucky I am to, to do what I do and, and be able to do that, you know, to, to up and move and um, experience a new city through, through my job. Um, yeah, so that was, that was a great experience and, and um, you know, we're, we're really glad that we did that. Um, other challenges that I've you know, sort of faced along the way, um, you know, there's always tricky injuries that you, that you run into. Um, and as I said, I think early on in my career, I, I always, you know, I'm someone who's a, I like to find a solution, you know, rather than um, sort of dwell on the problem, just, just try and find the solution. And, you know, you, you might have a tricky injury or you have a, have a recurrent injury. And, you know, for that 24 hour period, you, it's the worst, worst experience of your life. And, you know, you, doom and gloom and um, yeah, I very quickly shifted my focus towards finding the solution and reaching out to other people who you know, may have seen it before or um, again, ask for advice. I think that's something that I can't really understate that enough and I've mentioned it a few times but just don't be afraid to reach out to, to other people and ask for help. Um, you know, you're going you're gonna to be held in a higher regard for doing that than, than for not and continually making the same mistakes. So. Yeah, they're probably the challenges I've faced and I guess, you know, the learnings from them. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for sharing. And on the um, different roles that you've had from physiotherapist in, in the youth uh, academies, from head physio, uh, Melbourne Victory, and currently rehab physio. So um, you've experienced um, many different um, roles that a physiotherapist can do in, in elite sport. What, what for, for the, from the rehab point of view, where you're sort of bridging that gap between, you know, acute management through to all the way taking them back to return to performance what are some areas that you feel physiotherapists um may be surprised about when you're when you're taking on a rehab role compared to being a physiotherapist in a clinic um i'd say the first thing is just um the amount of say strength conditioning and sports science knowledge that you need to have or, or that helps you in, in those roles as i said i think in a clinic you you may get, get caught in this um, manual therapy model mindset, um, whereas in, in the rehab space, it's, that's still a big tool that we use, but it's very much exercise therapy and, and exercise progression. So 
I guess expanding your knowledge in that was was something that um, I had to do from a from the start. Um, you know, you really have to upskill in your exercise prescription and and you know, I guess fine tune your rehab philosophies and, and focuses. Um, probably the biggest difference between say say a rehab role and and your you know your nine to five clinical role. And what's some of the best ways to to do that? If let's say someone has gone from working the clinic for for a number of years um, and they're really sound physiotherapist and then um, working you know for themselves and running their own practice you know uh, client base and then now working in a team uh, and you are involved in like you mentioned sports science so analyzing gps uh, maybe working out the worst case scenario knowing their average game output uh, and then but also being able to take them through the gym progressions and and then also like you mentioned it's still treat and and so you, you are across everything and then in 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 some circumstances, you're involving the coaches as well. So what are some, some of your favourite ways to try and um, develop those areas that you may not get experience in in the clinic? Um, again, I think, you know, there's obviously the academic group. You know, you can, you can do things like your, like your ASCA accreditation or, or you, could go and, you could go and do a postgraduate um, transitioning um, course if, you, if that's the way you wanted to go. Um, I didn't do that. I actually, you know, learnt on the job, so to speak. So... For me, it was more about, as I said, making a network um, of, of people in those areas and sort of leaning on experts in those fields, you know, following them on Twitter and, um, you know, reading their research and staying up to date with the literature. Um, that's definitely something that, that I did a lot of early on and, and read a lot, um, upskilled. Um, you know, there's plenty of textbooks out there that you can, that you can look for and um, that will give you some, some pointers in that direction as well. But but for me, you know, from strength conditioning side of things, it was I've been really lucky to work with a number of great S and C coaches, and it's just asking them questions and picking up things as you go. Um, in my master's course, we we obviously ticked off quite a bit of that as well, um, which helped helped that skill set. But um, and then from an S and C side again, it's just um, literature. You know, there's plenty of literature out there on you know AFL and 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 match demands and worst case scenarios and sprint volumes and all that sort of stuff. Um, but but even just speaking to a sports scientist and just saying, hey, look, you know, this isn't my my expertise, but can you help me understand what these metrics mean, or um, you know, what does high speed running mean for this person, and you know, what's an axel, what's a D cell, change direction, or all those sort of metrics that you're looking at um, throughout that rehab process. So um, as I said, it's, it's either it's either through an academic way or, or you know, upskilling and reading, um, or just reaching out to people that are working in in those fields and and asking them for their opinion or, or their help on it. You mentioned earlier the challenges that the athlete goes through when they've had an injury and particularly those first 24 hours. Uh, what's part of your philosophy in terms of um, communicating with an athlete when once they're injured and they're, you're looking after them uh, so they're in the rehab group? Um, what do you find are some successful ways to, uh, I guess, support that athlete but also maybe respect their space? Like how do you... Like take us through sort of I guess the art of the coaching side of things. Yeah, look, there's obviously you know, everyone goes through a grieving process, and um, the, the severity of the injury might, might determine how long those processes are. You know, I've seen athletes that you know might have a, a season-long injury, and um, you almost need to let them go through that. You know, the anger phase and the, the denial and 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 all those sorts of phases that they're going to go through. It's normal, and you sort of almost just have to be there and support them through that. Um, and then when the time is right, it's, it's trying to redirect their focus towards, um, the rehab. Um, and, you know, saying, Hey, look, this is a great opportunity for you to work on things you weren't good at before. Um, you know, I always say to the athletes that, you know, rehab's an opportunity to develop. Um, maybe it's, you know, they might have had a leg injury and they're going to be off feet for a little bit. Um, but you can work on their upper body strength if that's something that the coaches want to work on with them or if that's something they want to develop. So. Again, it's just sort of redirecting their focus a little bit towards things that they can do and, and what they are capable of doing. Um, and probably the other piece around sort of the longer-term injuries is, is also just making sure that they um, do have something else um, to focus on. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot of younger players especially will, you know, their life is almost defined by their sport. And so when that's taken away from them, they really struggle. So... As I said, we're really lucky in the AFL where there's a, there's a great support network around the place in that sort of well-being and, and wellness space. But, um, you know, maybe it's, hey, you know, have you thought about taking up study or, you know, 
someone might already be studying and can sort of say, this is a great opportunity for you to focus on that. So it sort of you know, helps them get away from you know, their, their life being defined by their injury and by, by their not playing their sport and you know, get them, I guess, out of their head a little bit and sort of focusing on things that they can do um, and redirecting their focus, as I said. And, and what about um, reoccurrence and, uh, and a situation where um, it might not be a significant setback, but they've had, uh, it hasn't been linear, which is, I imagine, quite common in, in rehabilitation. Uh, how do you go about supporting that athlete and knowing that they're still uh, on the same timeline or maybe only set back by a week um, and reassuring them? And like you mentioned, that refocus, is it uh, showing some video or is it a reporting? Uh, what are some sort of ways that you can? get an athlete back on track and, and I guess give them in that positive mindset? Yeah, yeah I guess it depends on the, the context around it. But, you know, if someone did, you know, so they're coming back from a, from a hammy strain and, and they did have a recurrent um, in rehab or uh, early on when they're sort of getting back into training, um, I guess, I guess the, the one thing that the athlete wants to know is why. Um, I think the earlier you can answer that question for them, the, the better it's going to be. Um, one thing that you've got to um, that you always want to make sure is that you know that you keep that trust with the athlete and that they trust what you're doing and and I think that you know as I said it might be that hey look you know we've done everything by the book and we've we've followed what evidence says is the best way to to rehabilitate this injury you've got back and unfortunately there's been a recurrence so we're gonna we're gonna look at alternative ways we're gonna you know as I said reach out to this expert in this field um, and try and see if there's another way we can approach it. Um, Sometimes just that is, is enough to sort of, again, help them mentally get through it, um, knowing that you are doing everything for them and you're sort of giving them um, every chance they, they have of getting better. Um, and I think the other, the other piece on it is just around, if you set expectations early that rehab isn't linear, because I haven't seen many rehabs where it's just a smooth, you know, gradual progression and everything goes the way you want it to. There's always going to be has um, up days, down days, um, you know, small setbacks and also some wins along the way where you think things are going a bit quicker. And if you set that expectation from the start and sort of communicate that to, to the player that, um, hey, this is probably what the process is going to look like, um, that can definitely help them. Uh, yeah. And the, only, the third thing I was going to say is just about sometimes it's just a conversation with, with a fellow athlete who's been through it. And it's, you know, knowing that, hey, you're still going to get there. You know, things are going to be okay and, and you're going to get through this. And, and sometimes it's just reaching out to a, fellow teammate who's, who's been through that same experience and you know, had a recurrent hamstring or you know, had a second ACL injury or something like that and got back successfully. And, and even that is enough to just sort of, again, get them to, to refocus. Yeah, that's about amazing advice, mate. And what, what about for, from the rehab practitioner's point of view, uh, how do you go about managing that pressure and that stress of it might be a reoccurrence or something hasn't quite gone to plan and... Um, and you're sort of reviewing things and, you know, naturally there's going to be just stresses within that. Um, how, how do you go about managing um, those stress levels? Um, do you mean with the athlete or, or with the staff or? No, yeah, with, this, with, your, with yourself and then I guess within your own team as well, high-performance sort of medical team. Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, like, like for me, if, if something like that did happen, the first thing I do is reflect. You know, you, you can sort of pick up the pick up the rehab and go through it with a fine tooth comb and sort of think, have we done everything correct? And, and you know, have we followed our philosophies and and have we stuck to the structures that we have in place? Um, and then, as I said, if the answer to that question is no, we didn't follow our um, our philosophies, then there's the first problem. Um, if the answer is yes, we did follow our philosophy, then as I said, that's when we need to be thinking a bit more laterally and thinking outside the box. Um, as I said, we, you know, when you're working in a department, it's, it's always important to involve, you know, the high performance team, you know, doctors, physios, um, strength conditioning, sports science, dietetic, um, psychologists, just everyone around them needs to be involved in, in the rehab process. And, um, you know, what, what we would do is if, if there was something that didn't go the way we wanted it to or there was a setback, we'd, we'd sit down as a team and discuss it and go, well, you know, what, what's happened here? And, and again, sometimes... For me to, to actually sit back and get external feedback on, oh, have you thought about doing this? Or, you know, maybe you should look at this. Or, you know, that can actually be really helpful as well. Because sometimes when you're in a rehab for a period of time, you can, you can get a little bit, you know, narrow focus, for want of a, uh, want of a better word. And, and sometimes for someone to actually 
almost with a fresh set of eyes, just run their eye over the program and, and um, you know, they, they're going to see things that, that you probably haven't picked up in the first place. Or again, they're going to be looking a bit more laterally anyway. So, so that's something that I find um, really helpful. Um, yeah, that, the, that, that, that makes a lot of sense, man. That, and it's good to get that no matter what your role, I imagine, by uh, leaning on others and, and team members that might have a different perspective and different experiences to shed light on an area. So thanks for sharing that. And then what with the uh, getting the information from the athlete, uh, let's say they've, they've either just got injured for the first time and you, you're wanting to work out, um, like you mentioned, you want to know the why. The athlete's going to want to know the why. So you, you've got your detective hat on. Um, what are some of your key questions from the athlete's perspective, knowing what state they were going into from a mental point of view or what's going on with their life or sleep and um, these other contributing factors to, to break down? Uh, what are some key questions do you think are important for physios to ask? Yeah, again, um, look, we're a little bit lucky in that we collect the data so we can sort of look at it that way. You know, your wellness data, your sleep, your stress, your, your muscle soreness and all that. Um, that's definitely something that you can look, look back at. Um, you know, if you communicate with the player, it is important to know what else might have been happening in their life. You know, say it's a recurrent hamstring and then after the fact, they tell you, oh, yeah, I moved house yesterday. Um, like that might be something that, that comes into it or, um, you know, it might be someone who um, is just, just giving birth, wife's just giving birth and, and their sleep patterns are all over the place. Um, so I think it is really important to, to have that conversation with the athlete about, you know, is there anything else going on outside of here um, that, that may be contributing to that? Um, again, you've got to be a little bit careful, I guess, when you ask that question. You, you've obviously got to have a good relationship with the player and um, uh, not do it from an interrogation perspective. But, you know, throughout that process of rehab, you're spending a lot of time with the player. I would hope that I'd know all that stuff just through general chit-chat and conversation um, about what's going on outside their life. Um, yeah. And, you know, you sort of hope that just through general discussions that, that they're going to open up to you about those sorts of things and you can be aware of it. Um, but if not, then, yeah, as I said, it, it, it might be asking somebody else who's close with them, hey, you know, how, how, is, how is, you know, so-and-so been um, at home? You know, they might live together. Um, you know, how they've been at home? Do they see themselves? You know, speaking to other people that are around them a lot can also give you a bit of insight, I guess, as to how they're actually going. Um, Again, you sort of mentioned the stress and, and the, the mental and, and psychological state that players might be in. And you might not see that. Um, and as I said, it might be just speaking to their housemate, speaking to their partner. You know, is there anything else going on? How are they going at home? You know, they're struggling. Um, so I said that you might have a, a player who says everything's fine and rosy when they see you, but behind the scenes, they're, they're really uh, struggling with it all. And you might need to. I take that into consideration in terms of you know referring on speaking to the, the doctors and um, team around them um, and yeah sort of I guess helping them holistically. With that, like you mentioned, you spend a lot of time with them and you're you're picking up a lot of information from the athlete. Plus, you've got the objective subjective data to lean on as well. Um, when you're going about your weekly planning, and let's say there's a little bit of pressure with bringing that athlete back, maybe it's September. Uh, you know, from the coaches to bring them back earlier than what you would like. But, you know, maybe you want a four-week and it needs to be a three-week. Um, what would you be most concerned about, like things like lifestyle stress or uh, clinical assessment, uh, you know, maybe strength numbers in the gym uh, or, you know, what would be some big markers that you'd feel if they're not hitting, it's going to be pretty hard to convince the, the coaches they're going to be ready to be able to play a full game in, in three weeks. Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, I'd probably go on the clinical markers. Um, so I'd be thinking of things, you know, strength, length, range of motion. They'd probably be the first things I'd hang my hat on. Um, you know, if someone's only got 50% strength uh, on the hamstring and um, half range and they're expected to play in a week, chance that it's going to be unlikely. So that's probably the, the first thing I, I'd, I'd go to is, okay, well, clinically, what do they look like? How are they progressing? If all of your clinical tests look okay, um, I'd probably then start leaning on the loading data a little bit. You know, I'd be speaking speaking about GPS, and if you don't have access to GPS, it's just probably having an understanding of how fast do they run, how often have they run fast. Um, if you're talking about a hamstring as an example, um, you know, what distances have they hit? How many times have they kicked the footy? Have they done ground balls at speed? You know, all those sorts of things that you're taking into consideration. Um, uh, that, that might limit your decision as to whether or not they, 
they should or shouldn't play. Um, and then I guess outside of that, there might be, you know, if all of that looks good, that's probably then you start thinking about, well, is there any other reason why this person shouldn't play? You know, if they're loading data stacks up and they've, they've trained fully and, and their clinical markers look good, you, you might then look at the, you know, the, the wellness data and start seeing, well, is there any trend here? You know, is there stress through the roof? Um, are they really sleeping poorly? Um, is there, or, you know, are they starting to develop an illness? Um, is there some other reason as to why they might come unstuck if they do return to play? So, yeah, I'd probably say clinical markers first. Um, loading data is obviously um, hugely important. Um, and then probably the wellness data comes on after that. Awesome, mate. Thanks for sharing. And then, and then on the flip side, and last one before we go into the, the lighter side of the podcast, the, the get to know you section. Um, if you've got an athlete that is hitting all, all your markers and, and all your clinical assessments and they're going really well from a physical point of view, however, they're, they're, not, conf- they're not confident within themselves, what are some uh, methods that you've lent on in those circumstances to try and boost confidence and, and boost their self-esteem to, to return to play? I think that's a really important point and just sort of reflecting on the question you asked earlier, it's probably one thing I didn't say is that um, athlete readiness is a huge indicator of, of sort of readiness to return and there's, there's obviously quite a bit of literature around that um, coming out now. So I would actually say that even if you have ticked all your boxes and the athlete's saying, I don't quite feel ready, um, that is something that probably would ring alarm bells and it would just make you think why. Um, knowing the athlete would help. You know, if they are an athlete who is typically, say, an over-reporter and an anxious person generally and maybe they're, they've got a bit of performance anxiety and that's maybe the reason they don't want to sort of go back to play, then that's something that you might target and be like, hey, you know, you look really good at the moment, get the coaches involved. Uh, look, you know, you're looking great. Um, really happy with how you're playing and training. Uh, sorry, with how you're training. Um, that's probably one angle I'd go at it, you know, get the coaches involved and, and get them to sort of help build confidence. Um, it's all well and good for, for you as a physio or, you know, see to say, mate, you look great, but to hear it from, you know, head coach or, or line coach in our, our sport um, goes a long way. And then I think the other thing is, is um, you know, again, just, just asking why they don't feel like they're ready. And, and that might, might help you as well. They might say, look, I know that I'm strong, but, um, yeah, I've still got some symptoms when I do X movement. Um, and that might, you know, perk up your ears a little bit to, to something that maybe you've missed through three clinical assessments or, um, you know, something that you might need to investigate a little bit further. Um, but if you're pretty confident, I guess, as a, as a medical practitioner that um, the injury is healed or as close to healed as it's going to be, um, then it's all about, yeah, relaying that confidence to the, to the player of, hey, look, you know, we're really happy with it. You've done all these things. You almost show them their GPS data. Look, mate, you've sprinted. You've hit 100% of your max velocity. You've, you've changed direction maximally. You've done a match load of one-on-one skill sessions and, and controlled um, rehab. You know, you've, you've done three training sessions. You're ready to go. So giving them the data might also help them, you know, realize that they're ready or, or, um, you know, at least sort of boost their confidence a little bit. But, but as I said at the start, it, it is definitely something that I, um, personally, um, taking into consideration quite a bit in, in that sort of return to play um, discussion. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks, mate. You can see how much is involved in your in your current role, um, and you mentioned how important it is to be a team player and be across um, all the different cohorts within within the footy club. And you can see why, um, for not only for your sake but also for the athlete's sake, so you can lean on all those different roles in in helping with return to performance. So, um, yes dropping gems all the way through for physiotherapists listening, which I love. Um, for, for looking back at your career now, um, going back to being a head physio, um, do you feel like the rehab role uh, is a great development role for physiotherapists to then become a, you know, into a leadership position because you've done the head physio role and then now you've gone to rehab? Do you feel like it helps being in those sort of leadership positions um, once you've been a rehab physiotherapist? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the, probably the more natural evolution would be, you know, going to say a rehab role and then into a head physio. Um, you know, for, for me, it was more, um, again, getting an exposure in a different sport and being able to focus on something that I really love in, in the rehab space was, was sort of my reason for going into this role. Um, I think any experience, whether it's as a massage therapist volunteering with the first team or um, being a sports science intern with the first team 
it doesn't really matter what what you're doing if you're in that environment and around it you're still going to learn and you're still, still going to develop your skill set so um yeah as i said it, i don't think it matters what what that pathway looks like but um getting an exposure to it um definitely helps um if you're going in the rehab role first as i said the, the benefit of that is you can really just focus on on rehab and, and you know starting to fine-tune your philosophies and and um in clinical skill set um with different injuries so that's something that can help you for then if you do make that step up to be a head physio that um you sort of already got that understanding and you've had that experience of sort of as i said fine-tuning the rehab space and then the only other side of it comes in obviously is the acute diagnostics and the, and the management side of things and, and the communication with coaches and, and sort of managing up so to speak um that sort of comes into it so yeah, definitely. As I said, any experience in a in a you know any uh, higher position is is favourable, um, and it doesn't matter what it is. Like as I said, uh, we used to get physio students um, from the University of Newcastle to to come in and, and help massage um, in, in the A League, and, and even that was good experience for them because then you know we we'd run PD with them and sort of educate them a little bit on how we go about doing things. So. Even though they're there to be a massage therapist and to help out there, they're still going to see how we operate on a day-to-day basis. So, um, yeah, any experience is valuable. Yeah. All right, we'll move into the uh, yeah the get to know you section now, mate. So um, we can have a bit of fun with this. But which movie or, or TV series has impacted you the most, and why? You can throw in books, book as well, if if that's a one that stands. Uh, impacted me. Uh, like difficult one to answer. I, I was thinking about this, and I was sort of thinking. More recently, I guess the Michael Jordan documentary was something that, um, you know, The Last Dance was, was a phenomenal um, docuseries and just seeing, I guess, the, the insight into an elite mentality of, you know, almost how, how neurotic someone at that level um, is and how obsessed they are with sort of getting to the peak of their sport. Um, and I guess similar to that is actually the Ronaldo documentary, if anyone hasn't seen it. Again, it just sort of gives you a bit of an insight into his elite mentality and, and how he goes about, you know, being the best um, in his sport. And, yeah, there are probably two, two that I can think of that um, really stand out to me as um, yeah, influential just in the way that you see um, an insight into the, the, you know, the day-to-day operations, but just, just the, the mentality that these, these people at the top of their game have. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know there was a Ronaldo one. I'll have to check that out. It's on Netflix. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, fa- favorite inspirational quote or life motto? Uh, I'm not really a quote guy, to be honest. Um, I think life motto is probably uh, don't take anything for granted. Um, as I said, uh, you know, I've been very lucky um, to be doing what I do. You know, I love what I do and I'm very lucky to work, work in sport every day and, and work with professional athletes. And it's, it's not something that I, um, you know, I do lightly. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of what I do but also very um, very lucky to be doing what I do and, and I don't take it for granted and I think that's something that whether it's an athlete um, you know physio SNC it, it doesn't matter I think it's just never take anything for granted because um, you know life is short and you never know what can happen and um, yeah just don't take anything for granted and, and make the most of it well so mate and, and what about uh, pet peeves what in your work life what makes you angry um I'm going to say whinges. <laughs> um, it probably ties in a little bit with that not taking things for granted. You know, probably one of my biggest pet hates is when when I hear a professional athlete who gets to come in every day and, and kick a footy around, whinge about what they have to do. Oh no, I've got to be around here till two o'clock today, and it's like, mate, you don't you don't really realise how good you've got it, and how many people would kill to have this position. So, probably my biggest pet peeve at work is is just yeah, whinges and people that. Um, yeah, don't appreciate what they've got. And uh, COVID-free world, which we're pretty close to being in now, what's your favourite way of spending your day off? Uh, other than catching up on work, it's probably uh, um, uh, I'm a bit of a cyclist. I like to get out on the bike, um, go for a ride um, where I can. But also just um, spending time with, with my wife and family and, um, yeah, just, just sort of making the most of, of the time together, um, you know, working sport. Um, days off a, a few and far between at times so yeah it's probably spending time with your loved ones and, and your family as much as you can when you can yep and what about um, from 
uh, favourite holiday destination? Favourite holiday destination? Um, I'd probably say Italy. Um, I've only been over there once, um, but absolutely loved it. And um, the architecture, the food, everything about Italy I, I loved. Um, and it's yeah, probably, probably first on my list to, to head back over when we're able to. Right. Uh, absolutely. It's definitely on my list. I haven't been there yet and I've, I've heard it's fantastic. So, um, yeah, have to, have to get there at some point. Well, thank you so much for, for jumping on and sharing with us your experiences in elite sport and uh, how you've um, you know, got the opportunities that you've worked hard for and, um, and also some things that have worked for you in your field and in the experiences you've got and also some learnings as well. So no doubt for physios, S&Cs, anyone that wants to do an elite sport, you know, it's, it's been massively beneficial and I've learned a lot from it, mate. So thanks so much for jumping on and hopefully some developing athletes as well will we'll have a bit more awareness of when they next whinge, <laughs> um, <laughs> how good they've actually got it. Um, couldn't agree with you more, mate. That, that's definitely a pet peeve of mine. But um, uh, talk us through what, what are you excited about for, for 2022? What's on the horizon for you? Um, I think obviously work-wise, it's, it's seeing just how far this young bloods can go, you know, seeing, seeing how, um, how far this team can take it this year. That's, that's something that I'm definitely excited about. And outside of that, there's probably um, international travel again, which has just been off the radar for a while. So, um, you know, looking forward to hopefully getting away over the season off season. And for those that want to reach out and maybe ask any questions or, or get in touch, what's the best way to connect with you? Is it socials, email? Um, yeah, probably through, you know, shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Um, probably, probably the easiest way to contact me. Um, I check it, you know, semi-regularly. So, um, yeah, send it through. You know, you know, just preface it by saying um, it might take me a couple of days to get back to you, um, just given travel, et cetera. So, um, yeah, LinkedIn's probably the easiest way, mate. Um, but I can, I'll flick through my email to you after this and, and people are more than welcome to contact me via email as well. Easy. Now, I'll add the LinkedIn in the show notes for anyone listening while driving. Um, and, yeah, thanks again, mate, for jumping on. Uh, for those that are tuned into the live show uh, later on in the podcast, make sure to listen to the very start. You can watch this. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel, and then we'll be releasing it on our podcast on Tuesday next week. So uh, stay tuned. Um, we'll release the podcast on Tuesday and you'll have access to that in, in any of your favourite podcast directories. But thanks again, Justin, for jumping on. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what the Bloods can do and hopefully have some success uh, and Hayden can get involved with it as well. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for, for jumping on and looking forward to seeing uh, what you can do for the rest of your career as well, mate. No doubt it's the, only the very beginning of a, of a great career in elite sport. Awesome, mate. Thanks for having me and, uh, yeah, take care. Awesome, mate. And for those that want to watch our next live chat, we're actually going to do a monthly collaborated event with AFL High Performance Managers next Friday. So that'll be the 29th of April. It'll be at the same time at 8.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. So we'll post a link on our socials. We'll see you guys then. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, Head Sports Dietitian of Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. 
welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish... Back then, when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things. And um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes thank you for listening to the prepare like a pro podcast if you like this episode it'd be a massive help if you could like follow rate give a review or even share with your mates the show is recorded in melbourne australia be sure to follow our instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest if you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.